Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I think it was Andrew Murray who said, prayer is grabbing hold of heaven and fasting is letting go of earth. And um, that's why prayer and fasting go go together so well. And the reality is we live in a world that wants to advertise and through marketing tell us this is what you really need and this is what will meet your needs. And as we heard this morning that scripture with Andrew that Andrew read in Isaiah 55, that is not really what we need. What we really need is what God has to give to us. And, and sometimes we need to fast to remind ourselves that our hunger for the things of this world ultimately will not satisfy we will over and over have to, you know, fill up with the things of this world. And this world has like spiritual MSG, you know. The more you eat of it, the more you'll want of it. It's like chips, you know. <laughs> but um, when we come to God and we allow him to quench our thirst, to, to meet our deepest needs, then it's lasting. And then we realize that, that um, we have a deeper need for God than for anything else in this world. And, and, and let's really trust God for that that, that, that. that he'll reveal to us the hunger of our souls is for him. Nothing less than God himself can satisfy us, ultimately. And that's why we temporarily let go of the things of this world. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with food or drinking or, uh, you know, the, the, the physical food and, 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 and drink. There's nothing wrong with that. But it all points us to God, who is the ultimate spiritual food and drink. And um, at the end of the service, we're going to have communion together. And, and, and that is what communion is all about, that Jesus is the bread and the wine that ultimately satisfies us. Okay. And let's, let's really trust the Lord that as we start fasting um, on Wednesday at 26, uh, you know, join us for a partial fast. And then on Sunday and, and, and Monday, the 1st and the 2nd of March, we'll do a full, a full fast. And if, if you can, join us in that. Uh, if you've never fasted before, don't worry. It's not, a, it's not as hectic as you think. <laughs> when you're going through it, yes, it feels a bit hectic, but, but you'll survive it. Obviously, it's like Rochelle said, speak to your doctor. You know, if, if you have a medical condition, your doctor doesn't allow you to fast. Um, you know, let's trust God first that you'll be healed. But, um, you know, don't, don't fast, you know, without your doctor's permission if you have a, a, a medical condition. But please do join us. Let's, let's fast together. Let's together say and show the world and show ourselves, remind ourselves that this world, we're we, we letting go of this world and we're grabbing hold of God because we know that ultimately he satisfies us. Amen. So I'm going to share just for about a half an hour or so. And then, like I said, uh, at about 11 o'clock, we're going to have uh, communion and end the service with, with communion. But um, when I, I, I often teach the guys in the ministry training program, which is sort of our show for finishing school for, for, for ministry, for vocational ministry. Uh, I do the, the sessions on hermeneutics and homiletics. That's interpreting the Bible and preaching the Bible. And um, I always say to the guys uh, who are sort of, uh, young preachers, you know, learning um, how to preach. I always say to them, when you preach, you give both a message and a method. Whenever you preach, you give both a message and a method. You don't just give a message uh, of this is what the Bible says. Implicit in your message is a method by which you arrived at that, at that message. <clears throat> in other words, how to study the Bible. And from time to time, what I like to do is instead of, you know, 
doing sort of the behind-the-scenes work in the study and then bringing, you know, what God has shown me and, and sharing it with you, I like to actually bring the study to the pulpit. And I like to do a Bible study, just from time to time, just so to make a bit more explicit the method, okay? So um, get out your Bibles. We're going to read from Colossians 2, verse 6 to 10. Uh, whether you do it electronically, whether you have a hard copy. I'm, I'm going to be preaching from the ESV, so if you have a copy of the ESV, it will probably be easiest for you to follow on, on the English Standard Version, because that's what I have up. You, usually, I, I'm in, in fact, recommend, when you do Bible study, you want to, you want to use a more word-for-word literal translation. Okay, so I recommend you have at least two good translations. I have a reading Bible. My reading Bible is the NIV. It reads nice and easy. It's a, it's a uh, slightly more interpretive translation. And then I have a study Bible, which for me is the ESV. And when you study, when you do your Bible study, you want to use a, a slightly more word-for-word literal translation like the ESV or the New American Standard Bible or something like that. Um, so you can open up, uh, if you have an ESV or whatever other copy you're using, at uh, Colossians 2 verse 6 to, to 10, and then um, we're going to turn to one another in groups of two or three, and actually just from time to time during the service to share uh, what we see. So I'm going to start by reading us the whole uh, passage. Listen carefully and, and, and trust the Lord that he'll start showing you stuff in the passage. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, or Christ Jesus as Lord, the NIV will say, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For to him the whole sorry, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Lord, we just thank you for your word and we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here in our midst and that, that you lead us into all truth. And we pray that you will instruct us and teach us, Lord, not only what this passage says, but how to study this passage, Lord, for ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, all of us start off like little babies, uh, like Ella was uh, sharing earlier during the words, drinking from our mother, you know, drinking your mother's milk. Uh, in other words, you need to be fed, right? And then, uh, you know, as you grow older, um, you know, you start eating solids instead of just milk. And then there comes a stage where, where every, every you know, person who's had a child, you know, they say, uh, you know, I want to do it myself. The baby, uh, the child, when they become a toddler, you know, and it's very messy. It's, it's, it's messy. <laughs> if you've had children, you'll know that stage where they grab the spoon and want to eat themselves. But it's so important because all of us have to become self-feeders. And then the next stage is where you not only, first you get fed, then you become a self-feeder, and then you learn how to feed others. It's when, when you become a parent who, who feeds others as well. And we have to grow through that same stages of maturity in terms of us feeding on God's word. And like Andrew was sharing, God says, you feed on me when you listen to me, when you learn how to listen to me, when you learn how to hear my word, because my word, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Okay, so this um, passage, I just want to show 
you know, one, one thing that I often do just to sort of um, help me study a passage is to break it up into portions. Now, this passage um, has three sort of discernible portions. The first two verses talks about what the gospel is and what the gospel is like. That's verse 6 and 7. Then verse 8 is a contrast but tells us what the gospel is not like. Okay, The gospel is uh, not like empty deceit and, and philosophy. And then verse uh, 9 and 10 again tell us what the gospel does, uh, what it accomplishes. So the first two verses, that's one section. Uh, verse 8 is, a, is sort of another section. And the last two verses, there we go, is another section. So what I want you to do is first focus on the first section where it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, or as Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So what I want you to do is just turn to the two or three people, uh, or the the one or two people next to you that you're going to be sharing with, and and just tell them what do you see in in that first section, uh, where it talks about what the gospel is. We're talking about living the gospel. So, so just, just read those two verses again and, 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 and share with them, okay, what do you see in those verses? What strikes you from those verses? What, does those, what do those verses specifically tell you about the gospel? Firstly, it says therefore, and, and you've probably heard the saying, whenever you see a therefore in scripture, you must find out what it's there for, <laughs> right? Um, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be naughty and not actually do that because that'll take uh, too long. But, but he's referring back to the previous few verses where he started talking about the gospel and how he's contending for the Colossians and for the church in Laodicea um, around the gospel and Christ who is the, um, in whom all the treasures are, are hidden. Uh, wonderful idea. And then he says, as, and, and, and you need to notice those two words, words, as and so. So he's making a comparison here. He's making a comparison. He says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So walk in him. Okay? And how did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Through salvation. More specifically, the word there for receive is a word, um, now this is where it helps a little bit to know the Greek and and be able to check the Greek. Or you can see it in the good commentary as well. The word is uh, paralambano, paralabata, and, and it's, it's a specific word for receiving, but receiving tr- as tradition. Later on, he talks about human tradition. Then he uses the word paradidomi. So paradidomi is the giving of tradition, and paralambano, paralabata, is the receiving of tradition. So he's, he's specifically talking about a message, a tradition that you received. He says, as you receive the tradition of Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him. What is the tradition of Jesus uh, that we received? Yeah, how did we receive Jesus Christ the Lord? What was the message through which we received Jesus Christ as Lord? It's the gospel, right? It's the gospel tradition. It's the gospel message that we receive. And, 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 and here is a big, big um, sort of paradigm shift that all of us have to undergo. We, we talk about in this church, how do we make disciple makers? We teach people to live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit. Okay, which assumes that the gospel is not just for non-believers, which is exactly what this verse says. It says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. In other words, as you receive the gospel, so walk in him. In other words, and, and, and it's interesting, um, uh, you know, if, if, if you look at the Greek as well, you, um, the, as you receive, the word received is in the past tense, and, and, uh, and then he gives a command in the present tense, so walk in him. 
And present tense commands in the Greek is continuous. So he says, as you in the past received Christ Jesus as the Lord by receiving the gospel, so literally, and you see the, the, the NIV actually translates it that way, continuously walk in him. The NIV translates it continuously live out or, or, or live in him. Okay? So, so here's the thing. The gospel, the way that you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, is also the way you walk in him. The gospel is the way in, and the gospel is the way on. The gospel is not just the way to life, it's the way of life. And I think to many of us as Christians, most of us that's not new because we've been talking about this for a while, but to many of us that's a revelation. I remember a couple of years ago that was a revelation to me because I thought the gospel was only to get you into the kingdom. I thought that, you know, the gospel is for justification, then you need some other things for sanctification. And the irony is Paul is talking to the Colossian church who were exactly under that temptation. They'd received the gospel, but now they were looking to other stuff, and specifically the Colossian church, there were people, um, sort of Jewish Christians, who were trying to deceive them and saying to them, you must go back to Jewish traditions and stuff. You need more than just the gospel. And Paul was saying, no, the gospel is the way in, the gospel is the way on. The way in is the way on. The way into the kingdom is the way on in the kingdom. The way that you enter the kingdom is the way that you walk in the kingdom. And it's interesting that, that um, you, one of the things you want to do when you do Bible studies, you want to look for metaphors. Um, the NIV tries to translate the metaphor, so continue to walk in him as continue to live. And, and it's, it's right, it's, it's the interpretation of the metaphor. And, but that metaphor of walking as a, as a metaphor of life is, is not a, a one that the Romans and the Greeks, to whom Paul is mostly writing here, that they had. It's a Jewish metaphor. The, the, the Hebrew word halak means to walk. And, and a halakha was called, uh, uh, the, the rabbis called their, the way that they taught, um, the way of life that they taught, they called a halakha. Okay, So he's giving his halakha, and, and Paul's halakha was the gospel. He says, this is my halakha, this is my way of life. It's the gospel. In other words, I, I look to Jesus, and Heinrich was talking about love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself. How do, how do you know how to do that? You look to Jesus. How did Jesus love God the Father, and how did Jesus love his neighbor? And in both, the answer, or at least part of the gospel answer is sacrificially. He sacrificed to love his neighbor. He sacrificed to love his father. It cost him something. It's costly love. And when we walk in line with the truth of the gospel, in terms of loving God and our neighbor, we will be willing to do so at a cost to ourselves. And the main reason, let's be very honest, that we don't love God and one another as we ought to, is because it often costs too much. It requires too much of a sacrifice. It's too difficult. But then we can look at the gospel and say, well, if Jesus, who is God, was willing to sacrifice like that for me in order to love me, then I too must be willing to sacrifice for those around me in order to love them. Okay, so as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. The way in is the way on. What, what is the problem that the gospel solves according to that phrase? As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, what is the main problem that the gospel solves? If, if Paul summarizes the gospel as receiving Christ Jesus as Lord, what is the problem that the gospel solves? 
Yeah, the word Christ, um, anointed king, means, uh, you know, and the fact, fact that it was sacrificed implies that, definitely. But, but that's more the solution. I'm asking, what is the problem? Okay, the relationship with God was ro- broken. More accurately, it was wrong. Okay? But in what way was it wrong? You're getting much closer to the answer I'm looking for. I'm specifically thinking about the word Lord. What does that imply? You, you're, you're, you're on the right track. What does the word Lord imply? Authority, sovereign, ruling. Right? Okay, so, so before we received Christ Jesus as Lord, obviously he was not Lord in our lives. So what was he not doing in our lives? He was not ruling in our lives. Can you see that's the problem? That's the main problem that we sit with according to that passage with humanity. The word Lord, if you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, then before you received him as Lord, he was not Lord. So the gospel and receiving the gospel, being born again, whatever you want to call it, is coming under new management. Okay? You were under your own management. You were Lord of your life. And then when you received the gospel, Jesus, the Christ, the anointed king, became Lord of your life. Um, I just want to read you a little portion from, uh, let me just find it quickly. Uh, this, this was just a, a guy called James Dunn in a commentary. He says, receiving the tradition of Jesus Christ as Lord was thus one of the most effective summaries of the gospel as it had been understood from the beginning and had been preached particularly in the Pauline mission. Since the basic sense of kurios, which is the word, the Greek word for Lord, um, is that of superior to inferior. In other words, master to slave, king to subject, God to worshipper, with formally acknowledged rights of the former to command or dispose of the latter. All would have recognized that acceptance of Christ Jesus as Lord included within it submission of the believer to this Christ as the uncondition, uh, and unconditional readiness to act in obedience to him. Okay, God saves us by coming to rule us. What we need to be saved from is being ruled by anything else than God. And, and mostly, we need, what we need to be saved from is being ruled by ourselves. And the good news, because that's what the word gospel means, good news. The good news is that God comes and he liberates us from our own tyrannous rule of ourselves. And he instills himself as the new Lord, the new kurios, the new master of our lives, under his benevolent rule. His, can I call it what it is? His benevolent dictatorship. <laughs> I um, read recently that there's, there's this movie out, you can go and maybe look for it on the internet, um, about the revival that's currently taking place in Iran. Now, Iran is a very staunch Muslim country, or at least the, 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 the upper class, you know, the ruling class is very staunchly Muslim. Um, but, the, you know, people on the ground, many of them are quite secular Muslim. I had a, a talk with, with Neil who, who went there a while ago and he was saying, you know, a, a lot of them are just sort of secular Muslim. They're not really practicing uh, Muslims. Um, but, but in Iran specifically, the church is just exploding. And mostly, led by women, burqa-wearing women, who are talking to one another about the gospel and getting one another saved. And, and, and they say that the revival, the, the revival proper started when they went from making converts to making disciples. And they say what they do is very simple, obedience-based discipleship. When Jesus saves you, the gospel, the good news is that Jesus Christ becomes Lord of your life and you obey him. 
And, and, and they say, once, converts, if you just make converts, you know, people who, and, and, and so often we do that. You know, we, we try and make, we try and convert consumers to Christianity. Because that's what most people, especially in the West, are. We're consumers. We're trained to be consumers. Okay, that's one of our highest values, even whether we realize it or not. When you convert consumers, we try and just convert consumers, but you don't really make them disciples. What happens is when persecution comes, and in a place like Iran, it inevitably comes very quickly. Then they fall away from the faith. But if you make disciples, obedience-based discipleship, you make disciples who say Jesus is Lord, and he can command me and even dispose of me as he sees fit. Then when persecution comes, you say, Jesus, if this is what you have for my life, I'm happy with that. Because you did this and worse for me. And I will walk in line with the truth of the gospel. I will live the gospel by doing doing the same for you. If you sacrificed for me, I'm by your grace going to sacrifice for you. And then he goes on and he uses a a couple of metaphors. Let's see if I can find it. Um, And he says, rooted. So walk in him. He says, rooted and built up in him. Now, notice he's using metaphors. Just like the walking is a metaphor for living, he's saying rooted. What is rooted? What is the metaphor there? Planted. It's an agricultural metaphor. It's a plant. In other words, what, that, what does that tell us about the gospel? It tells us that the gospel is a seed, a living seed. And you receive it as a living seed and it starts growing. It takes root and it starts growing. It germinates and it starts growing in your life. In other words, the growth that comes from the gospel is organic. But then he switches metaphors, and and Paul is notorious for this. And he says, and built up on him. Now, um, what is the metaphor there? It's no longer an agricultural metaphor, it's a, a construction metaphor, building of a house. He says, now, built up on him. So, what you once again cannot see, except if you read the original language, he literally says, now, this is a very wooden, literal translation, and, and that's... You'll see how terrible it sounds. That's why the translations don't translate it this way. But what he literally says is, having been rooted in him and continuously being built up in him. The one is past tense, completed, and the other one is present tense, continuous. Okay. So once again, he's talking about the same thing. As you received him, so walk in him. As you have been rooted in him, so be built up in him. Continuously. The gospel is the way in and the way on. And then he talks about um, um, and established in the faith. In, in Philippians 2 verse, verse 27, Paul says, talks about the faith of the gospel. So when he says established in the faith, he's talking about the faith of the gospel. Established in it. And then he says um, abounding in thanksgiving. Oh, sorry, as you were taught. So, once again, taught past tense and being established, present continuous tense in the faith. Okay? So, so over and over he's saying the same thing. You were taught, you were rooted, you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now, continue to walk in him. Continue to be built up in him. Continue to be established in him. The way in is the way on. Okay, can you see that? The gospel is the way in and the way on. That's one of the main things I want you to get from this day, from today. And, and, and notice that the word gospel is not used in those verses that we read. But remember what I said last week from Galatians 3 verse 8. Paul also could see the gospel where the gospel is implied, where it's taught in Scripture, even when the word gospel is not used. So, in, for instance, in, Galatians, in Genesis 12 verse 3, 
when he says all nations will be blessed through you, Paul says that's the gospel. Okay, and we need to be able to see the gospel as well, even where the word gospel is not used, even in the New Testament. Okay, and then uh, Paul goes on, and, and now he's talking about what the gospel is not. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and, uh, and not according to Christ. Notice the three accordings there. Now, I'm going to give you just quickly a, a minute or two to, to discuss that. But this talks about what the gospel is not. He's contrasting the gospel here. So quickly, just discuss it in your groups in a minute and a half or, or two minutes. And then um, we'll have a look at it together. What Paul says here is that if you don't have the gospel, if you don't walk in the gospel, you'll have to grab some other philosophy, uh, which will turn out to be empty deceit. Okay? So if you don't live by the gospel, you need to live by something. You need to live by according to something. And, and if you don't use the gospel as that something that you live according to, you'll live according to something else. But it'll just be philosophy, empty deceit. Okay? And, and, and you know, when, you, when you look at truthful life, you have basically three options. Okay? The first one is observation. Observation, speculation, or revelation. Observation means you look at how the world is. And often guys will do wisdom like this. They look at what happens in the world. They generalize from it, get principles from it, and live according to it. Speculation, lots of philosophers do that. They speculate about what things are like. And especially when you're talking about things that are eternal, that are invisible, that are not seen, then you have to resort to speculation. But the third option is revelation. In other words, when it's revealed to you. And and. When it comes to God, we can, look, we can do some observation. We can look at how God acts in the world. We can do speculation. We can say, well, I think God is like this, or I'd like God to be like that. Or we can allow God to reveal himself to us, revelation, and, show, and say to us, I am like this. And that's what scripture does. And that's what God did in Jesus Christ. He revealed himself to us. So, so you, can, you can grab for philosophy or empty deceit, but th- that philosophy and empty deceit is... According to this scripture, human tradition, or according to human tradition, or according to the elemental spirits of the world. Okay? So humans, physical beings, okay, part of the physical creation, tradition handed over. So it can come from a human source and human speculation and human observation. Or elemental spirits of this world, demonic forces, the non-visible, non-material part of creation inspired and revealed but from, from, um, from a demonic side. So what do those two things have in common, humans and, and elemental spirits? Both are fallen. Both are fallen. In other words, if, if you don't go for the gospel, which comes through God's word and through Jesus Christ, then you have to go for something that comes through the fallen part of creation either the human fallen part or the spiritual, demonic fallen part of creation. And that's why it leads to empty deception, empty, empty deceit. The, alter, the alternative, and he says here, not according to Christ. Christ is the one part of creation that, does, that comes from outside of creation. That, that's profound. You've got, like, you got, you got to get that. Jesus Christ is the one part of creation that comes from outside of creation. Um, in other words... They, they often say, you know, you, we cannot look at life like, um, like a fish bowl because we're the fish in the bowl. You, you, you don't have an objective view of what the world's like because you're inside of it. 
You cannot sort of dispassionately from outside look at what it is and, and see this is what life is like. This is what the world is like. Because you're inside. You're the fish inside the fishbowl. But Jesus is the one who comes from outside the fishbowl into the fishbowl and can tell us as the rest of the fish what the fishbowl is really like. That, and only the gospel can do that. Only the Bible and only the gospel through Jesus Christ. It's the only source that we have from outside of creation to tell us what creation is like. And that's why everything else is empty deceit. And that's why I have to live the gospel and live according to the gospel. Okay. Finally, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells and you have been filled in him who is the head and rule of, of all rule and authority. In other words, what the gospel does, notice fullness there. It says, and it's the same word in the Greek, when it says in him the whole fullness dwells and you have been filled, in the Greek it's the same, same word. The only way we can be filled is with God's fullness. In other words, there's a, there's a God-shaped hole inside of us that only God can fill, as the cliche goes. If you want to be full, only God can fill you. If you try and fill that hole with anything else, whether it's food, whether it's success, whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's whatever, even, even good things like family and hard work and so on, and all those are good and commendable things. But if you try and use those things to fill the hole in your heart, you will feel empty for the rest of your life. And in fact, you'll feel empty for the rest of eternity. Because only God can fill you. Only God can fill you. And we fast to remind ourselves that it's not nice feeling empty. <laughs> to remind ourselves that if we want to feel full and satisfied, we need to go to God through the gospel. And, 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 and he says, um, in him, in Jesus, in him, all the, the whole fullness of the deity of God, in other words, dwells bodily. Have you ever tried to look at the sun on a bright summer's day. Don't. Don't try because you'll damage your retina. <laughs> you can't look directly at the sun in, without a filter. What you need is, is a filter. You need a set of filters, glasses, to look at the sun. Okay? Now God is like the sun. He's full of glory. He's beautiful. He's majestic. We need him. We need the heat that comes from him. It sustains us. But if we try and look at him directly It'll damage us because that's how glorious he is. But that's why God came in bodily form. Jesus' body was as it were the filter through which we can look at God and not damage our eyes. That's why God took on bodily form in Jesus Christ. It was God saying, let me put on a filter so that you can safely look at me without damaging your eyes. So you can see me for who I, am, I really am in bodily form, in human form. And when we see that, we see the fullness of God in bodily form. And then when we believe the gospel, we receive Christ Jesus as Lord. We receive the fullness of God and we are full. In other words, what is true of Christ, because we are in Christ, becomes true of us. That's the gospel. It's the great exchange. Jesus made what was true of us. Jesus actually, it's substitution, representation. Jesus took our place so that we can take his place. Jesus was treated as we deserve so that we could be treated as he deserved. Jesus took all the punishment we deserve so we could receive all the rewards and benefits that he deserved. But not only that. Trevor, can you come and help me here quickly? Grab that cup. 
Grab that cup. What happens? Stand over there. What happens when? <laughs> what happens when you hold at your arm? <laughs> what happens when you fill something up? Okay. Now, so often we live the Christian life like sort of just pouring out, pouring out stuff. But God says He wants us to live the Christian life like this, constantly receiving of His fullness until we overflow. Then you never feel empty. So often we, we take the cup and we pour out. Oh, I'm so empty. I'm burned out. I'm dying. <laughs> and Jesus says, just come and receive of my fullness and overflow. Okay, thanks, Trevor. <laughs> you made a mess. <laughs> Notice what it said there in the beginning. At the end of verse 7, overflowing with thanksgiving. Guess what will happen when Jesus is constantly, the fullness of Jesus is constantly poured in your life. What will overflow from your life? Like the water overflowed from that cup. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. If you live the gospel, you will overflow in thanksgiving. But not only that. It says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. And we talk, spoke about the gospel makes what is true about, because we, we covenantally give ourselves to Jesus, we are in Christ, and what is true of Christ becomes true of us in a, in a covenantal um, sense. Not that we become God, we don't become God, but Jesus' status, his legal status, and how he is treated is imputed to us, and, and we get treated the way he deserves, and, and, and we receive his righteous status and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's Jesus the Christ. Christ means anointed king. That's literally what... It's, it's the, the Greek, Christ, Christos, is, is the Greek of, of the Hebrew Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. And what that means is he's the anointed king. In other words, he's full, when he talks about the fullness of God, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that, and that verse was quoted this morning. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted to bring liberty to the captives, um, etc. In other words, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit. And part of the gospel is that Jesus, who is full of the Holy Spirit, comes and makes us full of the Holy Spirit. And that's part of how he saves us. That's part of the gospel. The, you know, in my studies of, you know, my, my master's studies that I did, I found that the irreducible minimum of Christianity is the reception of the Holy Spirit. The one thing without which you cannot be a Christian is the reception of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says, those who do not have the Spirit of Christ do not belong to Christ. And the biggest part, the, the, the biggest chunk of his fullness that he fills us with is his fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that saves us. And that satisfies us. The Holy Spirit is the living water that quenches our deepest thirst. I wish I had more time to talk about this, but if you do not know the Holy Spirit, and you do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and you do not have an experience of the Holy Spirit, you are missing out. You are missing out big time because the Holy Spirit is the living water that quenches every thirst. He is the anointing through which the salvation of the gospel becomes real in our lives. And because Jesus now is the Holy Spirit, so you have to be holy to receive him. Any holy people here? 
if you if you if you're born again, you are actually holy. You see, firstly, we are holy positionally in Christ. Then we become holy progressively in behavior, and then there's perfected holiness. So positional holiness, progressive holiness, and perfected holiness. The perfected holiness will only be one day when Jesus comes back. But the progressive holiness should already be now as we walk out the gospel that we received. But when we receive the gospel, we are already in Christ. And positionally we are holy, as holy as Jesus is. Because his position becomes our position. His status becomes our status. And therefore we can receive the Holy Spirit because we are holy in Christ. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.